0: Are you ready? Hey everybody! Hey Pop! Hello everybody! People in the back! Welcome everybody! Welcome to the inner loop! Welcome everybody! Welcome to the inner loop! Without further ado! Without further ado! Okay, so without further ado, we're gonna get started. We should get started. We're yeah. I am ready. We're gonna get started. <clears throat> <clears throat> Welcome to the Inner Loop Radio. I'm Rachel Koontz. And I'm Courtney Sexton. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't
1: already, remember to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and check out our website at theinnerlooplit.org.
0: For any new listeners here on the Inner Loop Radio, we delve into all things creative writing, whether that be inspiration or craft, publishing or editing, how to make a living, or just how we all sit down each day in front of an empty page. Or screen Uh, Sometimes we play clips of local writers Reading their work at our monthly
1: reading series Other times we invite those writers As well as other members of our literary community To join our discussion
0: On today's show Let's dig in to what it means to be good Is this like a philosophical question? (laughs)
1: Like are we talking like Morally good? Yes Wow,
0: wow, wow. I'm just kidding. Okay. Because uh, you did bring up like Socrates last time. So, you know. <laughs> I know. Actually, um, I studied the great books of Western civilization. Uh-huh. And all those old white philosophers talk a lot about goodness. There's a lot of disagreement. What's good? It's not good. They didn't ask any women, so. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> so the same is true for publishing. Um, what does it mean to be good? So how do you know? When something is good.
1: You know, I. it's really funny that this is the, the theme of our episode this week because I was having this conversation with a friend who is not a writer um, just the other day. And we were sitting out on their porch, um, you know, having a little drink before dinner and I was helping them pack. And um, my friend said to me, actually a poet friend did walk by and and that poet friend's work, you know, came up and a friend said to me, but how do you know? Like what, you know, when you're like reading a poem, like what are the things you look for? What stands out to you? And we got into this kind of philosophical thing where, you know, you can start at the base and say, well, there's form, right? You can know when someone has studied and knows how to craft something. There are kind of essential elements and pieces of things that you learn to identify and, And by study, I don't mean it has to be a formal study. But I mean, if you read enough, you kind of start to get the gist of, you know, what works and what doesn't. And you can emulate that. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we also talked about that that other something, right? Um, That idea of... Poemness, for example, like stands out to me, and and that kind of intangibility, and that's almost what you look for. Like, is it that thing that you can't put your finger on that just keeps pulling you in? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I think about that. I also I, when I'm critiquing work because I'm. I, I consider myself a better critic than writer. Uh, often, um, I'm like I have good taste. I can't always do it, but I have good taste. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there are there are definitely like a couple of different things you look for to define goodness. Again, and it's that like, what is the intention? Is that intention conveyed? Um, is there something that surprises you as a reader? Is there something that stays with you as a reader? What mm-hmm. are those lingering bits? Um, I don't know I'm just,
0: you're, rambling. just gonna, you're like I could go on and on <laughs> um, So I I want to bring in our guest so I'm going to throw it a break And then we're going to come back and bring Liz in And talk more about these um, Considerations yes. If you will yeah. um, So For more on this we invited our Authors Corner Spotlight to join us on the show And we're going to tell you all about that In just a minute Welcome back to the Interloop radio. We've been discussing what it means to be a good writer. And now we'd like to welcome our spotlight author from our brand new program called Authors Corner. So every month we're really
1: excited. The Interloop is spotlighting a local author who's published with a small to medium sized press press um, or self published and who doesn't have the resources for their own publicity
0: team. So we treat a small publication as a New York Times bestseller, and we connect talented local authors to readers in the community. Our June author spotlight, authors' corner spotlight, is Elizabeth Deanna Morris Lakes, whose name is a line of I- iambic pentameter, and whose book *Ashley Sugar Notch, and the Wolf* is out from Mason Jar Press. She joins us on the show. Welcome. Hi! Surprise! I've been here the whole time. <laughs> Um. So, yeah, let's let's bring you in on this conversation. What is, um, you know, you wrote your um, Washington Independent Review mm-hmm. of Books article on this subject. So why don't you tell us your thoughts and then we'll jump in and hash this out. Impart your wisdom we're gonna get the, on us, We're going to get the answers. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, I think that the first thing you have to do is stop wondering if it's good. Ooh. Um, because so often i feel like we really just like expect things to be good or bad initially and that can be i think it's exhausting mm-hmm. and i don't think it's super productive and i think also it it sort of puts this pressure on you to to be productive, which is like very much a product of capitalism, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, writing is like sort of, as far as I'm concerned, like a lot of the time antithet- antithetical to that. And so, yeah, when when do you know it's good? you know, way further down the line, that's when you should mm. be asking yourself that question. First, I think it's okay to just like let your writing exist, let it sit on the page, play with it. And from there, you know, once you've been working with it for a while and you have a sense of scope and you have a sense of your your the purpose or the thesis of what you're doing, even if that thesis is just like beauty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then, then I think you can be like, okay, you know, is this good? But from there, you will already be pretty intimately familiar with the work. And also hypothetically, you may have shown it to other people. Mm -hmm. You will have gotten feedback. Hopefully those are people you trust and not terrible people. (laughs) And if you, from there, you'll be able to say, I think, you know, this is good, but good also is like, is it fulfilling the, Need that I want it to. Right. Yeah,
0: that's what I was thinking while, while you were talking. Like the the question changes. Yeah. It's not is this good. Once you you know what you're trying to do, you mm-hmm. can ask yourself, is this serving the purpose that I'm trying to so achieve? achieve?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like each
0: part is this serving like the overall you know good in the philosophical sense <laughs> of the piece. <laughs> um, and then when everything everything that's in a piece is intentional. Then it, it has to be good, like well, in the
1: <laughs> right. right, yeah. all right, all right good. <laughs> well, so the, this I think it's really messy, right? Because then are we also talking like good from our perspective as the writer, or good from a reader's perspective?
2: And are those things always the same? No, right. But that's fine. Yeah, I I am a person that I feel like Twitter specifically loves to say how much they people people on Twitter love to say how much they hate their own writing. And, uh, I, I love, I love my own writing. Yeah. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, even though, Can't like, to that.
0: <laughs> I mean, maybe this is
2: why I'm less like emotionally distraught over thinking about if my writing is good or not. Because usually when I write something, even if I know I need to revise it, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> I did that.
1: <laughs> There's something about it that still feels right. Yes. Or or
2: good. Yes. But it's, it's also very much like, okay, I wrote down the words yeah. that I meant to say yeah. just now. And then later, if I look at them and I'm like, oh, I'm realizing now that even though I did the thing I wanted to do, maybe I could do that in a way that would be more clear to other people. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think it's just like, you just got to go into it with love. <laughs> So there are iterations
0: of good.
2: Yeah. Well, and also, like... <laughs> I, this I, is getting so
0: meta with the amount of times that we've said good in, like, 50 different contexts. I know. I
2: know it's I, very apropos. I know for a fact that I'm skipping ahead here, but it's very perfect, so I'm going to bring it up, Which is that I know you had said to me earlier that we were going to talk about drafts. Mm. And I think that this is a perfect example of this. And because The city first draft. Yes, exactly. But... I, the question you had specifically said to me in this email, this is some behind the curtain shit right now, (laughs) was, we don't, what are you talking about? We've never met you before. (laughs) Never before. I walked into this house. I was blindfolded. That's right. Um, is that, uh, the question was, what are the most drafts you've written of a piece? Mm. And this is my answer to this, which I know you're not expecting, so get ready. When I was 17... You was like zero. <laughs> yes, I, everything I, I, I write and then I... I put, Let it go. It's gold. <laughs> she just... Comes out her fingers. So when I was seventeen, I wrote a. I was writing spoken word poetry. Cool. And I wrote a spoken word poem called Affection Addiction. I had just broken up with my boyfriend, who was very annoying. Bless him. He just got engaged. Um, which now, I felt very. Or yeah. Oh no! Like just now, like it, a few okay. weeks ago. I was Presently. Like, Good for you, man. Because um, <laughs> he was a sweet. He was a fine dude. He was very sweet. He just was like so annoying at the end, and I broke up with him. And I immediately was like, Oh no, I don't have anyone to make out with (laughs) and this sucks um i i like had always just like my whole life had wanted people to touch and i and even now like my four and a half year old weeps because there's not a real person (laughs) that can sleep in bed with him so like so like you know that was me except you know many years ago and so I was very upset so I wrote the spoken word poem called Affection Addiction where I was trying to grapple with the fact that like I was at sea and it had lines like um I'm addicted to birds singing and you draped over me as a robe that had never happened <laughs> has now but you know um well also 17 yes exactly right now. yeah and so I wrote this poem I performed it a lot I performed it um at a spoken word competition that was at a brewery in Harrisburg where I'm cool. from in Harrisburg Pennsylvania I got 10th place I was the youngest person there by like six Hey-o. years or something <laughs> um and then you know that ended and but that was the first draft of something else I see so then I get to college and I'm a creative writing major and we have to write essays and I am thinking a lot about my relationship with touch and I wrote an essay but I wrote about, you know, this line between like when you want to be touched so badly you let yourself get touched in a way that's not good. Mm-hmm. So then uh, I wrote um, my book. I was working on my book and I have a line in Ashley Sugar Notch in the River where she is um, lying on the shore of an island in the middle of the Susquehanna. And she says, um, then the flies come, the large peony ants and crawl over my neck, routing their way from the line behind my ear to the muscles that blur the definition between neck and shoulder. Um, And then she says, um, my sink, my sweat sinks into the moss and I'm grateful for this respite of affection. These hair thin fingers that crawl over my body. And when I took that poem to workshop, everyone was like, Who wants bugs to crawl on them? And I was like, Yeah, that's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Who wants that? As I'm like going outside, you know, on my breaks and like lying in the grass and hoping the ants show up. It feels so nice um, if they don't bite you, um, which they do bite Ashley. Sorry, sweetie. Um, Okay, so now that was like the next draft of this, right? Mm -hmm. And then. Um, but right before I was pregnant into being, after giving birth, I wrote an essay called Touch Me. And that was the final draft. So that got ended up getting published by The Rumpus. Mm. So you can read it. Awesome. <laughs> and, um, Note to listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Touch Me, Elizabeth Deanna Morris-Lakes, will just bring up the, the essay on The Rumpus. because Are you I sure am, that's what it will bring well, up? let me tell you, I am the only Elizabeth Deanna okay. Morris-Lakes. <laughs> something that was intentional. Right. Um, so yeah, so... That is what I mean when I say like we really have to like divorce ourselves from what is thinking about things being good because affection addiction was good you know, it was good because I was good at performing it. It was well written, and other people said it was good. Right? I won this competition, but it was the first draft mm-hmm. of something that I was trying to work through. Or, I mean, I guess it was basically ten years A between. Yeah, between. I mean, maybe even eleven years between when I wrote that and when Touch Me got published. So, if you, which I feel like must be overwhelming. It's your Leaves of Grass. Yes, basically. <laughs> <laughs> except I'm not just going to keep adding to the same book and be like
0: uh,
1: same thing same that. thing so, is that what we all do every day
2: <laughs> so yeah I think you know you have time you have time just keep working on it and maybe something that you didn't think was a draft is actually a draft There, I actually even left that happens to me drafts. all the time yeah. yeah, I get too excited about first drafts sometimes Like I'm like
1: yes it's here it's good and then I go back and I'm like Ooh.
0: yeah I, I feel like I write this. things and then throw them away. And then when I come up on them later, I'm like, oh, yeah. Or I'll be like writing a story and I'll be like, I wrote that thing that one time. That Where, I, write it? Where, Where did did I it? Where did I, I find yes. it? This is going to fit perfectly right here. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. But that like, you know, I don't know. That, that makes me think about, um, I was listening to Bob Iger on the way here, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> who was the CEO of Disney when they like acquired... Um, Uh, 20th Century Fox and Marvel and Pixar Mm -hmm. Um, anyway he's clearly like the best at his thing what he he does does. (laughs) the thing that he does which is so different than (laughs) the things that i do um however i still related to a lot of the things he was saying which is so interesting about humans like uh, you know as writers we're interested in everything and Mm -hmm. here's why because you can turn anything into your own story um but he was saying how he had invested in this cop musical television show um called what was it called cop rock or something missed Uh, that one didn't come up in my queue (laughs) right well here's why it was a total horrible failure yeah and here's this there was this man who was sitting there talking about um how he was tr- like trusted his instincts about you know uh, Pixar content and how good it right. is. How he trusted his instincts about uh, Marvel content and how good it was. And then he was telling this story about how his instincts were telling him that this cop musical <laughs> was it, man, because nobody else was doing it. And he was like, "This is good." Like he was telling, he was saying, like his instincts were saying, like this is good. And it fucking flopped. It was terrible, <laughs> and it didn't go anywhere. And then the next thing that he did, like, did succeed. And it was, like, NYPD Blue. And that one he was right about. And so, like, you know, he was saying, like, I don't regret you know, investing that in fly, pop yeah, rock first, like, right. because you have to take risks in order to succeed. And in order to be like at the front of your field, you have to be willing to fail. Absolutely. And that applies so much to us. You know, yes. how can you be like, at, how can you be a creator if you're just copying it? What everybody else is doing?
1: Oh, we fail every day. I mean, I think that's part of the a great part of the process, right? Because it builds resilience for one.
0: Um, Not just that, it's, like, what creates, like, avant-garde. Like, experimenting is where the juice is. Yeah. Juice it out. Juice (laughs) it (laughs) But again, I think it comes back to, like, which part of
1: something are you failing at? Right? Like, there's there's just layers that I think, if we're trying to get back to this question of what is good, it's just, like, you can't, there's no one
2: answer. And the one thing I will say, too, is as long as you're writing honest-to-goodness, like, kind- Things because I think the one thing Is that there are plenty of people who have written things That are like harmful because they're like Racist or they're sexist Or they you know There's somebody and right, We're talking their... content wise Yeah goodness. but, but yeah, even yeah, yeah. so like If that exists then and then it ends up being something, let's say, God forbid it gets very popular and it ends up influencing people and then harming people because of that. So I think that there is like I I feel like there's that that's the one caveat is that like, yes, I think that you should just fail, 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 but just make sure that you think about fail rightly. (laughs) Yeah, that you're doing it in a way that does not harm anyone.
0: uh so switching gears a little bit you talk about how you feel poetry is play so i was curious about your um you know how you sit down and write a poem how does that work how do you incorporate play in the creation process
2: yeah so i think one of the first things that i do is i really like working with constraints so me too we talk about, yeah, yeah, we yeah. talk about that a lot. It's fun. And, you know, thanks to Ulipo for that, right? That's where I learned mm-hmm. that, like, term mm-hmm. specifically. Yeah. But I think that some forms for me are, like, it's too overwhelming to have, like, a whole form. So, like, you know, my name's an iambic pantameter. Now I never have to write anything in iambic pantameter ever again. I've checked the box, you know, I've proved myself. <laughs> and that's like too hard for me but okay what about looking at something with some sort of pattern that matches mm-hmm. a sonnet mm-hmm. or what about syllabics right mm-hmm. where now you're forcing yourself to reconsider language mm-hmm. and so that I think is a really great way to do things but that said I usually don't do the first draft with a constraint like that mm-hmm. usually when i'm writing um that might not be totally true i don't if i'm working from like bare bones nothing i don't normally start that way with ashley Sugarnotch and the wolf once i sort of knew what my system was mm-hmm. i then was writing to the system which is fine um but what i will do is i will write in a notebook and i have terrible handwriting um like just atrocious like, the only grade I got, like, a less than a B in in school ever was in handwriting. <laughs> um, thanks for nothing, Mrs. Gilbert. I am assuming she is dead. <laughs> But yeah, so I I write it out and it usually ends up being in paragraph form because my handwriting is so big and messy that like in any notebook, I'm not actually going to be able to get line breaks. Or if I do get line breaks, they're all just like, you know, I type it up and it's like an inch on the page. Mm -hmm. It's like very skinny lines. And so I usually do that. And then another really important part to my writing process, which helps with the play, is I will completely retype poems. So do you know about the studies that they've done on this?
1: No, tell us.
2: Uh, Vaguely, I think. Get ready, baby. So... (laughs) Basically, they've done some studies on um, students writing composition papers. And before word processing, um, which by that I literally mean a word processor, before that moment, students had to completely retype papers when they were revising them. And so just the act of retyping automatically like smooths out and fixes um, the way that they're writing, as opposed to when you have word processing, you can go in and you can make edits Immediately. immediately without having to use whiteout, but you aren't. Um, like doing those sort of more material changes. And so they basically did a study where they had students write papers one way and write papers the other way. And they found that the students made way more edits with word processing, but they weren't material and they weren't good. Mm. (laughs) And so, or, you know, it was a typo, fine, who cares? Um, But with retyping it, it just smoothed everything out. It was, but it was also like natural. Like the students did like very little work to get to that point. And so once I go from the notebook to the computer, the act of retyping ends up being the first sort of active play, because now's the first time that I'm actually seeing like, how am I arranging this on the page? Mm -hmm. How am I using white space? What are my line breaks actually looking like? And then from there I try to, unless it's like, Sometimes I will still do the sort of line edits depending on how far I am. But if I'm doing a full draft, I completely retype it. And that allows me to um, play around if I pick a new constraint. It also, this is the other thing. I feel like people don't talk about this. Having drafts does not need to be linear. No. But nobody ever does that.
1: Oh, I'm a collage artist. I literally like (laughs) cut pieces from drafts and like paste them, like have them spread
2: out on the floor and piece them together. What I mean is taking like a draft and writing two drafts from the same draft. Sure. And I think that that also allows you play because you can, because I feel like especially for younger writers... They're like, well, I can't like they don't want to abandon anything and a single idea. And a single idea. And, right? single idea. Yeah. and mm-hmm. so by allowing themselves to branch into multi, to, to multi, mm-hmm. like draft to A to mm-hmm. B to C, I think that gives you more room for play. Because then if you do something and it totally fails, then um, you still have this sort of like second draft that's like slightly different or that's a, a you have this base draft that you're working off of. And if you do three drafts, you can do exactly what you mm-hmm. said and collage them together mm-hmm. in a way that's better.
1: I think also, um, the listening to you talk about the idea of retyping in a sense is, um, has a similar effect, I think, to reading out loud, right? Because as you're retyping you're hearing it again over and over, and hearing it differently, and seeing it. But you know,
0: yeah, yeah. The other thing I've been doing lately is recording myself <coughs> reading yep. it aloud and then listening back, which is an interesting. Mm-hmm.
2: I used to do that all the time.
0: Yeah, I haven't done it recently. I know. I, I feel, feel like all the time when yeah, I yeah, I feel like I've I've recommended that to people and then I've never and then actually I've done gotten it. Gotten away from it. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I never actually did it, and then I started doing it recently, and I was and I'm like, oh. yeah yeah, like for what especially for pieces that I'm stuck on and I'm like, mm-hmm. I know this can be better, but I can't exactly something about this isn't quite right. Like it just gives you a new way of processing mm-hmm. it. But yeah, you play a lot in this book and what I've read from it. So why don't we hear a
2: couple poems so yeah. that we can put a, put this conversation in context. <laughs> I like that. I'll start with I'll start with the first Ashley poem because that's a good one. And that's where it all began. Ashley Sugar Notch and the Big Red Bow. I just hate how thin and toned my legs are. My arm and leg hairs are so light I barely even have to shave. can my body be a little lopsided, one leg shorter than the other? I saw a young girl at the mall with these shoes, one wedge and the other flat. It compensated. I want to need to compensate. An old friend was born with two thumbs on one hand. Her parents cut one off, a shame for sure, but with the one she had left, L-shaped, she could smash anyone in thumb wrestling. She called it the sledgehammer. My fingers, even in winter the cuticles don't tear. Even chewing them. Maybe I wouldn't mind looking so lovely and framed if I had something like a heart surgery scar, or like heart surgery and a scar I could show off with strapless dresses. We weren't rich growing up, we were comfortable. If I had needed the surgery or those shoes, we could have afforded it. This isn't so ridiculous what I'm asking. My mother and father smoked cigars occasionally, had a glass of wine with friends, but these points of decay don't interest me. I'm not interested in some death film only visible when my body is pieced apart during autopsy. Even my ears are the same shape. Maybe something will just happen, you know, some sort of accident or mishap. My father lost a chunk of ear during a war, something similar. He would always touch toward the blank space at the dinner table to remind us of something we couldn't know. But this was before. I'm trying to know the things I can't. For Halloween, I wore my green swimsuit bottoms and a big red bow tied around my chest, a new car and a new car model. Everyone asked what I was. When I told them a present to be presented, they tugged at the bow and looked past my eyes. (laughs) Liz, I love how... um
1: your' a lot of the poems in this book take on a narrative form and they have a very clear speaker right yeah. you know that's something that is definitely different in different poems whatever. Um, can you read one that has a little more, Identifiable form to yeah. it to, com- to just contrast.
0: So a wolf one. Yeah. Time to read a wolf poem oh, Yeah, you got
2: it. <laughs> That's what I was getting at. <laughs>
0: Can we have <as> a wolf?
2: <laughs> so I'm going to read um, the Sestina. The wolf attempts to explain himself. I just want this all to stop now, to go away, Ashley. The feeling that saturates my skin at night, like my skeleton is pulling away from my flesh. Just like it's new and implanted, but rejecting my body, an infection. I want to be whole and composed, to last through the night without shoving my hand in the hot water or numbing my face with ice. The water running down my neck. How do I stop this, Ashley? My hands are full of static I can't squeeze out. The last thing I want is to find you in my dreams tonight and crack open your ribs and rid your body of its organs. Is it so unreasonable to want a justice for myself? A new ending where I justify I'm not a wolf inevitable. Finding you in the water of the river and holding you down, your body putting up a fight because that's human, Ashley. It's human to fight against what we want at night when the exhaustion wears through the last set of reserve and control. I wonder when my last guard will shatter and I'll become just less than human the other, unrecognizable and willing to be held in straits beneath the water until I can no longer breathe. It's so easy, Ashley, for them to see you as less than a body and certainly not a soul. They won't see my body full of electricity and my hands and fists trying to last against the jerking muscles and teeth bitten on my tongue. Ashley, you know, I never want to hurt you in the dreams. I just lose myself when covered in fur. I'd rather bathe you in water, cool and blessed. I'd rather find you like a lover in the night and curl at your feet. A good dog. And in this tender night, we'd know, though our dreams might be bad, our bodies would be still. I'd wash you clean with river water in the morning, and our restfulness would last through the day. But if I get too close, I might just forget these hands are mine, Ashley. Ashley? Will either of us make it through the night just long enough to see the sun's body rise one last time over the river's sparkling water? The answer is no, by the way. She does die at the end. Just, <laughs>
0: spoiler alert! Spoiler alert. <laughs> God! <laughs> wow. Uh,
1: so I have such a hard time. Um, well, first I was, like, distracted trying to, like, follow the repet- you
2: know I like to follow the form which the six the six words are Ashley Night, just body right. last and water and just I play with just becomes justify yes you can uh, and,
1: and I love that kind of play but so I am a I'm a A canid researcher and uh, conservationist. And um, I always, you know, one of the big things that we have such a hard time with in that realm is convincing people that wolves don't prey on people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but this isn't a wolf. This isn't, this is the mythic wolf. This is the big bad wolf. Right. But that's the problem because it is a pervasive myth and people think it's real.
0: But nonetheless, beautiful piece. Thank you. Yeah, I, I love how visceral all the yeah. language is. Uh, you know, it makes you uncomfortable.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the bleeding in, in it, you know? Like, you do empathize with what you know in your mind is supposed to be the bad guy, right? Yeah. Going back to that good
2: versus bad. Hey! hey. connected. <laughs> yeah, and this poem specifically, um, I think, kind of fucks with people. Because I'm not trying to to say that the wolf is suddenly good and we should forgive him. But I think that something I think about a lot is with, and you know, I wrote this book before like Me Too became like the thing that it is. But something I think about a lot is that we're we're having to be, and I'm not saying that this is a, a, this is not a criticism, very reactionary. Mm -hmm. And sometimes reactionary, you know, years after things happen. And something that I'm very curious about is how do we stop the cycle before it happens? Mm -hmm. And so here, I wrote this poem in part because, you know, Ashley can't get out, but neither can the wolf. Mm -hmm. The system is built to support the wolf, and so it's very easy for the wolf to stay in the system, even if he's trying to fight out. Just like the system is built to hurt Ashley, Mm -hmm. and so it's very hard for Ashley not to get hurt, even though she's trying to get out. Mm. Mm. on that note <laughs> it's <laughs> deep
0: <laughs> no i I love that um, it's so topical, and it just feels very um.
1: Yeah. Talking about just, you know, systems in general, this and others kind of where and how do we break them down? When should we break them down? What is working? What is isn't? Yeah. And how do you
0: break the cycle?
2: And how do you insert yourself into that place, too? Uh, Well, this has
0: been such a great discussion. Uh, You can buy Liz's book, Ashley, Sugar Notch and the Wolf, (laughs) online or in person at Potter's House, local bookseller. That's right. And you can
1: find out more about Liz and our Authors Corner program on our website at theinterlooplet.org slash Authors Corner.
0: Keep a lookout for Liz's article forthcoming in the Washington Independent Review of Books. And throughout the month of June, um, if you order takeout from
1: our industry partners with uh, Eat Drink Read, Potter's House Pie Shop, Shaw's Tavern and Reveler's Hour all in D.C., um, you'll see Liz and her book featured in that campaign.
0: Uh, Liz, thank you so much for letting us pick your brain. Will you stick around for some trivia? Yes. All right. Up next, we're
1: going to play a little game because Rachel loves games called Anti Mortem. Uh, not Anti. <laughs> Up next, we play a little game called Anti Mortem or Post Mortem. Stay tuned. Let's gather. Gather. <laughs> Gather for you. Um, you can gather in.
0: Gather round, gather round for the second half. And we're gonna get started. We're gonna get started. We'll get started. We're officially getting started. Not teasing you this time. Welcome back to the Interloop Radio. We turn now to some trivia. I'm calling this anti-mortem or post-mortem. I'm going to give you an author, Liz and Courtney, and okay. you have to tell me if they got famous before or after they died. Oh, good. This is a fun one. Right? Yeah. Okay. I did a lot of research, which was really fun. Um, okay. Let's see. Let's see. George Elliott. Are we alternating here?
1: are we like you keeping can score like, you can like, okay. collaborate Ask on your answer style?
0: <laughs> this is wait, a wait, collaboration <laughs> effort
2: okay what do you know about george elliott nothing how many l's or t's
0: oh, <laughs> one of each but anyway stay on point after. you two this a short game um, i'm gonna say before before she died sure before yeah that's accurate yay <laughs> she published many novels throughout her career the last of which was Middlemarch, and uh, which was published when she was 52 hey. and th- she was pretty successful good which led to p- public scrutiny of her private life and well, right. caused because... a lot of drama but still yes she recognized <laughs> okay <laughs> how about Sylvia Plath
2: oh I have so many feelings about this oh does I mean, it before, count as... yeah but I feel like we know her mostly because of, of after. after. So I feel like this is a trick question. Yeah, this, this is, is a trick cool. question. This
0: is, <laughs> I, I counted her as after she died yeah. because she killed herself one month after writing the bell jar and she won the Pulitzer Prize 19 years after her death. All right. Yeah. So that one after. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Zora Neale Hurston. Oh, before. No. before. Before. Yeah. No. What? No. After. Ooh. Sorry, Zora. She died broke, <laughs> buried in an unmarked grave, and her writing wasn't revived until forty years after their I eyes were watching God. No idea. Yeah. Wow. Wow. God. Okay. Well, now I You're just weird. feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, Toni Morrison. Oh, oh before. before. <laughs> <laughs> it's you guys. Yep. She, she also, uh, also just died. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> She won the Pulitzer for Beloved at 58 And the Nobel Prize for Literature at 63 That's pretty baller also It is baller Okay, late life writers. Yeah. Okay, I would, but I wouldn't. No, I think it's baller because I wouldn't call that late life. Like, no, I mean like later in life. Like I feel like publishing is obsessed with like the debut authors yeah, yeah, these yeah, days, yeah, especially sure. in the last five years. It's Like agreed. He's young. He's brilliant, and his first book was like off the charts. And it's like I well, love how you say he also most writers <laughs> only because I'm thinking of no, specific I, writer. I know <laughs> which will remain <laughs> remain unnamed. But, uh, 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 <laughs> most writers. Just like toil away their most of their lives getting better and better and better yeah. in obscurity, and then they get famous. But anyway, on <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a rant for another time, okay. John Keats,
2: oh, Keats um, was after because he died when he was 25. I knew you would know this one, yeah. And he, um, a lot of I used to whenever I was reading him, I was like, God, these poems are so boring. And my professor Jen Hackinson was like, Liz, they're oh, not, I they're love not, Jen. oh, yeah, Jen's the best. She was like, They're not boring. He was the first one to do this, right? Right.
0: You always, you always put things in context, right? Like, you got it. Yes. She's
2: like, you got to calm down,
0: and I was like, aww, fine. Fair. Um Apparently, a friend of his claimed that cruel reviews of his poetry expedited his death. I do vaguely remember that, like, it was as a so rumor. Yes. So emo. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. I think we have time for one more guess. Yes. Okay. And then I'm going to just tell you a bunch of information real fast. Okay. Uh, Wallace Stevens. Before. Oh, before. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't win the Pulitzer until a few months before his death.
2: Oh, I'm okay. glad he was alive. Yeah. 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 This is great.
0: <laughs> and he worked most of his life as a lawyer and then a vice president for an insurance that. company. Yeah. Right. Um okay and then speed round Mark Twain um didn't write his first book till he was 41 mm. Um Mark the Twain Franz Kafka was an insurance salesman for most mm-hmm. of his life mm-hmm. and That uh, tracks He didn't get famous until <laughs> decades after his his death Uh Herman Melville failed to achieve his success with his sophomore novel Moby Dick which only got famous 20 years after his death. So that whole sophomore novel, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. like when you, the freshman yeah. novel so great, and then yeah. the sophomore one, that's real. Okay. H.B. <laughs> Lovecraft, Emily Dickinson, um, Edgar Allan Poe is an obvious one, all after they died. Wow, wow, wow. That's it. Yeah. Well, well, I'm, I'm famous, famous and, and I'm, I'm alive, alive so. so. Then, yeah. There you go. <laughs> you're famous because you're on this podcast, podcast for one. So.
2: Yeah,
0: clearly. <laughs> well, thanks for playing my little game with us. For our game. That's our show. Join us every other Monday.
1: Uh, our podcast rocks, but did you know that The Inner Loop has
0: lots of other programming for writers in the <laughs> BC area? <laughs> I write all the dorkiest lines for Courtney. <laughs> we have readings, retreats, workshops, a summer residency, and more. And you can read all about it at one more time, I'll tell you our website,
1: theinnerlooplit.org, where you can also donate to support this podcast and local literature and writers. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at theinnerlooplit.
0: Today's episode was produced by me, Rachel Koontz. Our theme music is by Andrew Logan. And our technical advisor is James Skinner. Thanks again to Elizabeth Deanna Morris-Lakes for joining us on the show. Just rolls off the tongue. Uh, If you enjoyed today's episode, whisper about it to your lover in bed tonight. We know Rachel will (laughs) be. But
1: better yet,
2: leave us a review. (laughs) Such as? It's better than fracturing your ankle by stepping in a hole all right that is that is that is some that's at least that's true. a rave
1: right there folks which is what i did last week. take it take it from our guests and don't forget to subscribe subscribe and you will never you will never miss an episode happy writing right on